You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to a special episode of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. So during the last show, I jokingly said, I can hear Linda typing on her keyboard now because I'm saying bad things about analysts. And sure enough, a few hours after the show went out, I got a very nice email from Linda, as they always are. And uh, after a bit of back and forth, I said to Linda, why don't we record a podcast where you can tell me why I'm wrong in person and in the process, all of the listeners can benefit. So this is the first of what I'm probably going to make a semi-regular series. The idea is that this is not a show about Apple News. This is a show about something that will help us better understand Apple News. And it's not me in a panel, it's me in one person. So, Linda, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. You are most welcome. I, I have to say that I very rarely try to tell a person that they're wrong. I simply want to say, here's another way to think about it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm perfectly game to uh, learn more about this because I know a lot about how tech works. I don't know a lot about how Wall Street works. Yeah. So... Yeah. I have a physics background, so what I said to you in pre-show was that uh, I sort of understand things as actors and forces, so probably the easiest way for us to start this conversation is for me to get some sort of idea of who all is on the field and what makes them tick. Okay, all right. And you want to go ahead and list out some of the people, or do you want me to do that? Well, okay, so there are companies like Apple. They right. have stock in the stock market. Right. So who buys the stock would be the first question I'd have. Okay, and that's that's actually a really important question because the um the the investors that have the biggest influence are people that are called institutional investors. Okay. So so let me step back a second. If you think about people who are um let's say in a plumbers union or mm -hmm. an electrician's union, or are um, work for the for the federal government, or yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Those people have, and and also many many large companies. Those people have four hundred one ks or other investment vehicles that they are encouraged to contribute to. Now, now and, for non-Americans, a four hundred one k is some pensiony thing, isn't it? It's it's not exactly a pension any longer. There used to be pensions mm, twenty thirty years ago. In this day and age, what they do is the company, the the uh, employee contributes, uh, let's say, 6% of their income. They, there's a variable amount that they can choose to invest to put into their 401k account. Okay. Um, the company then will match some percentage of that most of the time. Then that money will go, the, you know, a company such as, such as Apple, but it could be uh, Google or General Electric or General Motors or Unilever or Siebel or, or uh, you know, any, any number of companies. Uh, those companies will use that power, that money that they have. They will find an institute. Uh, it could be a Charles Schwab or an E-Trade or, uh, again, any Barclays bank, to pick a European example. Uh, any of those banks will then invest that money. The employee typically has some input as mm -hmm. to where that money is invested. Most typically, they are invested in mutual funds. The, see, so you see the layers here. The mutual right. funds then 
have the they have this bucket of money and uh-huh. they choose they choose who to invest in and the idea so, being they will buy lots of stock from lots of companies so although one you know any one of them stocks could go terribly horribly wrong you'd hope that if you spread it out wide enough you'll do as well as the market at least exactly and they call that that is that principle you just mentioned they call diversification or diversifying one's investments okay so that makes yeah. sense so those people have a lot of money i'm guessing to invest so companies want to keep them happy Exactly, exactly. And, and Apple, I attend, I'm an Apple shareholder and I attend Apple's uh, annual shareholder meetings here in, in Silicon Valley. And like in person, not, not just on the phone. Oh, no, in person. Oh, cool. in per- I mean, I, I listen to the conference calls too, but I like to go, I, I've missed a few, but I really do like to go and hear from management and hear what people are, what questions yeah. invest, other investors are asking, etc. Um, so so uh, at those meetings, much of the time, an investor that gets a lot of attention is CalPERS, which is the California employees, I believe is a California employees group that invests for that batch of people, which is significant. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so those are all institutional investors. They carry more weight than anybody else in the stock market. It, 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 at least they, that's, they yeah. carry the weight by pure weight of money. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, they matter. So, so who, who else is in there? Because it's obviously not just those big guys. No, no. There's lots and lots of individual investors. And Apple relatively recently split their stock within the past year or so, if I remember correctly, maybe 18 months. And last when summer, they, I think. Okay. All right. So about a year yeah. since we're in, we're in August. So um, they did a seven for one split. That number is unusual, but not significant, really. Um and when they split the stock, part of the reason was to make it more accessible uh, – pardon me – accessible to individual uh, investors. Yes. Yeah, because so, one share was like nearly a grand at one stage. Yeah, it was – I think it got up above 700 at one point. Yeah. So – and that's – that's for, for somebody who's on their own and they're maybe doing their own retirement investing or investing, uh, let's say, to put a kid through college in the future, yeah. then that's – that becomes a lot. And they look at it and they go, that's expensive. So – so Which it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Right, so you divide by seven, it's now $100 a share. Not cheap, but that's within humans, you know, normal people's range. Right, exactly, exactly. So another name we keep hearing mentioned as an investor is this Carl Icahn chap. So what's he? Because he's not one of the big mutual funds and he's right. not a regular Joe Soap. So where does he fit into the... No, he's definitely not a regular Joe Soap. <laughs> Um, Carl Icahn is, is he actually, there's two categories of investors that he would fall within. One of them is activist investor. Okay. And, and the other is, uh, and this is kind of jargon from the market. He would be called quote, a whale unquote. Oh, so there's whales as well as bulls. (laughs) There's whales, right? Okay. (laughs) Right. We, we have, we have lots of uh, entities from the animal kingdom. Um, so, so. And that's that's something you will hear on the financial press sometimes. They'll talk about, well, the whale investors are doing blah, 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 you know, and they mean people like Carl. And that just means a single investor who has a lot of money, who also, by definition, because they have a lot of money, is going to carry a significant amount of influence. But he's one person with one mind instead of a board and a whole bunch of people. So I guess he can be clearer in what he wants than a mutual fund. Right. 
He, uh, you know, I'm sure he has many, many people who work with him. I know mm. his son works with him, for instance. Uh, so it's so he probably has a company, but he is uh, it in, in terms yeah. of who makes the, you know, in, t- in terms of who makes the decisions, and he does his own tweets, et cetera, et cetera. It would be very different organizationally than a Calpers that we mentioned right. previously. Okay. Where they take lots of experts and they all have a little bit of an argument, and they say, "Well, we put five percent here, five percent there, five percent there." Right. Okay. Right. So that's uh, okay. So Carl Icahn obviously is a man whose job it is to know stuff. Right. But the mutual funds who are investing in all of these different companies, they can't possibly know the detail of every single company they're investing in. So right. They then must be the people who need analysts. Right. And, and what happens is that the mutual companies, the investment companies, I'm going to toss in also hedge funds because that's another group, but it would fall with un, under the umbrella of institutional investors. Um, they're playing with other people's money en masse as well, are they? The, the hedge funds? Right, right. But typically, it, that, most typically, again, that would be um, wealthier people who want to do things that way as opposed to doing their own direct investments. But all of those institutional investors will have, I shouldn't say all, but 99% will have um, inside analysts that are called buy-side analysts because those are the people who are buying stock. And Uh those those buy-side analysts are analogous to our friends – Gene Munster and Katie Huberty and Brian White and all the people we hear on the conference call. They're analogous to them, but they answer only internally and they do not do things like publish notes. They don't, and they don't uh, right. set publicly. That would be trade uh, secret, I guess. Right. They're not going to tell you who they're, you know, they're, they're hired by that particular company to advise them. And that's, yeah, exactly. Okay, so if you hire good internal investors, the last thing you want is them tweeting about it because you've just paid for them. So you should be getting right. their advice. Right. Oops. Okay, I just got – hang on a second. We're going to need to pause. Okay, sorry. We're back. We took a, a small little break due to an audio hijack <laughs> issue, but we have, I think, solved the technical problems. Are we back, Linda? We, we are back. Good, good. Okay, so we were talking about the internal buy-side analyst types, I believe. Right. Right. And, and they're not for, – for, the for Apple, for people who follow Apple as a company um, and, or even for individual investors, we never hear from them. So they're mm-hmm. really not a significant player. But it's, it's useful to know that uh, – th- the useful part from my perspective is that it lets people know that these institutional investors aren't necessarily paying much attention to ah. this – yeah. So that's, okay, now that's, I see. So yeah. the biggest money has their own experts. They're not relying on the outside experts. Right, right. Unless, I mean, it's always possible that, uh, uh, again, Katie Huber- Huberty or um, Ming-Chi Kuo, one of, the, one of those analysts, discovers something, and then the buy-side analyst goes, oh, I noticed that this person put out this note, and I think they're right. They will do their own research to verify whether they think they're right or not. Right, but, so the data goes in, and they obviously don't ignore data from outside, but they don't. It's not the only source of information they're using. No, it better not be. If it is, they wouldn't have. They shouldn't have their jobs, right? Why right yeah, what, what are you paying them for otherwise? Indeed. Okay, exactly. so so that means that the big guys have their own internal advice. So obviously, not everyone has their own internal people because otherwise, there wouldn't be Ming Chi Quo's etc. out there. Right. Right. 
And the the people like uh, Gene Munster, I mentioned, he works mm-hmm. for Piper Jaffrey. Brian White, who is a uh, very pro Apple, which is an Apple bull, by the way. Ah, uh, so bull is good. Bull is bull is good. I'll, I, I want to say more about that in a moment. Okay. Um, but um, uh, uh, Katie Huberty, who works for Morgan uh, Morgan Stanley, all these various analysts that, whose names we sometimes hear in the Apple mm. news. They work for typically brokerages or investment houses, Mm -hmm. and they do have large clients that they advise. Mm -hmm. It's just that they're not the big, largest institutional investors. And do they sell their advice as a service, or how do you? They work for those companies. So, so uh, uh, let me pick one that I can. So, let me say. hmm, Well, let's let's say say Gene Munster. So. All right. He's being paid by the company he works for. Which is, the, yeah, which is, yeah. It was Piper Jeffrey, wasn't it? Right, that's correct. Yes. I, just, I have Ken Ray's voice in my head. Piper Jeffrey and yes. Gene Monster. <laughs> right, right, right. Me too. <laughs> so Gene is being paid by Piper Jeffrey. Is he only publishing half of what he does and that if you pay Piper Jeffrey, you get Gene's full? Like, oh. how does that work? Like, he's telling stuff to the public. right. Right. That's a good question. I actually don't know if he if he withholds some of it. But Piper Jaffrey, because because he, because Gene's name is out there, mm-hmm. uh, people who invest with them or use them as an as a investment vehicle or decide to you know take their advice, they are in effect paying for that. It, it, it does seem likely that his full published notes we don't see. They're not in the press. They would be we just s- for Piper Jaffrey customers. Right. Or right. even just Piper Jeffrey internals, I guess. Po- possibly, possibly, yeah. In the case of like Goldman Sachs, there's a um, a gentleman, Bill Shopes, I believe is his name, uh, for familiar. Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So so and and Goldman is a big, big, big player in this in this field. For what okay. it's worth, they, they're significant and they matter. But I guess then, the, so the the big guys have their own internal experts. So the, the the ordinary folk who have one or two Apple Apple shares, they either have to make up their own mind, or do they have like? Well, you, there is. I, I sent you a link that shows you, you um, uh, that shows you, and th- this is readily available on the web. That I, shows... I will stick the three links you emailed me into the show notes for this section. So the first one is the list of. These are analyst estimates. So these are the gene monsters of the world right. co- collated, for want of a better term, onto one sort of set of graphs and averages, I guess. Right. Okay, so that's the first link. Then, then the second link that will be in the show notes is who it is has Apple stock. Right. Certain Timothy Cook seems to have a fair bit of it. That's um, true. <laughs> and then the last link you sent me is who is selling Apple stock, which I guess we'll come to later. But so there are the three links that right. will be in the show notes and they will be the titles that I put on those links. So right. listeners can listen along and we're now talking about the first one. Right. And that's, that is readily available on the web. Any investor can pull up or, or any human being mm-hmm. you know, can, right. can pull up uh, on the web and see what the analysts are saying about any company, whether buy or sell. There are some smaller companies out there who don't have a lot of analysts covering them. But Apple, who is obviously very significant uh, as a, you know, as a company and as a stock, uh, they have lots and lots of analysts. And part of the point that I wanted to make in sending you that list is to say, this is what they really think. 
so often on the podcasts, and I and I don't mean just you by any stretch, but so often on the podcasts that I listen to, the person will say, "Well, those analysts caused the stock caused Apple to go down as a stock," and it's possible that sometimes that's true. But the reality is when you look at that list, that combination of what all the analysts are saying, the large majority say buy the stock. They have target prices that are much higher than where the stock is today. I, I know I'm guilty of many things, but I don't think I've ever said that the analysts make the market do stuff. Because I've, I've, ah. I've always looked at the, at the analysts as more of a, a symptom than a cause. Oh, very good. Okay, very good. And that's and that is probably absolutely true for you. I know I have heard others who you know blame the analysts when the stock goes down. And it's no, like, I, no, no, I blame no, no. the investors. <laughs> Whoever's selling the stock is who I blame. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It is the market itself, and that is much more likely to be. And when we look at that list of who has been selling recently, and I don't mm-hmm. have it in front of me, but those are going to be your large institutional investors well, that are here. listening. So okay. we have state, state Street is top of the pile. Right. Minus 14 million shares. Right. HSBC Holdings minus 7 million. Right. BNP Paribas. Yeah, Paribas. That's that's actually, I believe, a Brazilian yeah, Waddle and Reed, Lone Pine Capital, these all seem to me like large. BlackRock Institutional Trust. BlackRock is big. Yeah. The Deutsche Bank, there's someone I recognize at last. Goldman yeah. Sachs. Yeah, Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So so those those they all have inside buy side analysts who are hmm. advising them. Now Goldman, as we know, also has a sell side analyst, because Goldman does both. Okay, so okay, so the buy side are telling people to buy shares. So is it not the same people who tell you to sell shares, or is that a whole different set of analysts? Um, okay, so so let me clarify a little bit. The reason they're called buy side analysts mm-hmm. is because those are the companies that are. Hmm, how do I see if I can put this in a way that makes sense? Do they hold the long term? Hang on a second. The sell side analysts are working for companies that sell the stock, that sell stock in general, not that, that they buy, they, the companies themselves as a group do not uh, buy stock. They're not investors themselves. Instead, they are acting as brokerage houses. Ah, okay. okay. I, I, that's an important, okay. I get that difference now. That's a, that's a very big yeah, difference. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, and Actually, and this- one other question just on these different types of people buying stock. So, there are these large institutions, they don't buy stock and sell it straight away, do they? they they're they more big picture people? Right. The, most of those people, especially people who are investing someone's retirement money, mm-hmm. they are long-term players. Okay, so, so they're not looking to buy and then sell 10 minutes later for a small profit. They They want a company who's going to have a strong prospect of being bigger 10 years from now than they are today. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So who then does that quick buy sell buy sell carry on? Who who's who's at that? They're typically called day traders. Yeah. Which well, the name suggests all. Yeah, okay. Ex- yeah, exactly. And I don't I mean I'm sure there are institutional day traders, but my take on it is is that that's more likely to be individuals who think they know a lot and they they, <laughs> they can make they can make very good money. They can also go Lose. bust. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's also these automated trades. That's from banks and oh. stuff trying to do what those day traders are doing, right? But without having to pay traders. Is that what's going on there? Um, 
what do I want to say about that? There's, there's a, there's a, <laughs> I actually didn't, didn't dig into that a whole lot, but the automated trades are, they are given an algorithm. So yes. think about Google and their search. Yes. So, so there are people who have done programs, say they do largely, they do, as I understand it, more what's called technical trading and they look at numbers and they, they have Buy algorithms that show them probabilities as to whether when a stock reaches a certain level, whether it's going to go down further or it's going to go up. Yeah. So, and so th those algorithms just run and they're like, as a physicist with some understanding of chaos theory, they're the ones that scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah. I, I, they typically will have some kind of a, um, uh, a stop. But not and always, it, because in the time I've been covering Apple News, I believe it's twice I've seen those algorithms run away and cause stock market temporary crashes. That's true. That's true. Those, however, typically, Bart, those get uh, blamed on software glitches. But the algorithm is software. <laughs> That's all it is. Oh, dear. Yeah, they scare me. They really do scare me, those. But anyway, that's yeah. not really what we're talking about today, because they don't have analysts. They just have software programmers, which is even worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enough said. Enough okay, said. Yeah. so at this stage, I have a pretty good understanding of the buy side. I have one more thing. So we've said, we've said that a bullish means that you're in favor of something, which means if you're a bear on a stock, it means you're against it. Right. So let me, let me make that really clear. Think about a bull and a bull charging, right? Right. So charge ahead. That's, that's the, the metaphor. You okay. know, a bull is charging ahead, buy the stock, go, 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 buy, buy, buy. All okay. right. Uh, the bear, think about a bear clawing something down, you know, taking that okay. huge bear claw. And, and so, so he's going to pull the stock down. That's uh -huh. the metaphor. Okay. Because I That's think bull in a china shop, and that doesn't help. No, no. <laughs> okay, so bull charging, go forward, bear clawing stuff down. Now I'm right. with you. Now I have one more thing I want to ask you about, because this first link you've given us here that summarizes the analysts, right. it has overweight and underweight and hold right. and sell and buy. Right. right. What does that mean? So, All right, so hold, sell, and buy are self-evident, They're obvious, right? yeah. Okay. When you think about a portfolio of stocks, so, so if you or anybody goes to mm -hmm. a financial investor and they say, if, if you or someone says, I have $1,000 to invest or $100,000 to invest, whatever the amount, they will, they will diversify it. Remember, we talked about mm -hmm. diversifying. They'll say, okay, we, I suggest you buy this percentage of Apple, this percentage of uh, uh, BMW, this percentage of Unilever, this percentage of Telstra. We'll pick an Australian stock. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, because they want to diversify the different kinds of industries, the different kinds of um, uh, the different countries. They do the small cap and, and uh, large cap stocks, et cetera, all these different categories of stocks and various sectors. Mm -hmm. So technology being one sector, industrials being a sector, transportation being a sector. So they want to diversify it. When they say overweight a stock, they mean that if you if you take just if if you said um, pick a number let's say five percent in each stock mm -hmm. five percent of that money if you say overweight uh, Unilever um, then higher than that five percent would go in we might make that six percent or seven percent ah. so that's okay. the overweight and looking at that broad and then similarly underweight says 
let's reduce our holding. We're not going to sell it off, but let's make it a bit thinner. Right, exactly. Exactly. It's a, you can look at it as a euphemism for sell and a euphemism for buy. It's like, really buy, buy a little, don't do anything, sell a little, sell it all. Right, right. Okay, yeah, now, now it makes yeah. sense. Okay, so hold and buy. So hold, buy and sell makes sense. So the other two are just halfway houses. Right. Now, I, I want to toss something else in that's, that um, many people on Wall Street believe that the, the sell-side analysts, the financial analysts that we're talking about, mm-hmm. are uh, too close to management in, very, in the various companies that they cover. I can and see how that could happen because it's always the same guys talking on the same conference calls. How many times do we hear the same voices in those conference calls? Right, right, exactly, exactly. And that has its pros as well as its cons. If, if, yeah. if um, Gene Munster really, really, really respects Tim Cook and comes to like him a great deal, then right. he's, he's favorably, you know, we're humans. He right. would be favorite. Right, okay. So, yeah, so, so Tim says something that might be true, but Gene is slightly more likely to believe it because he likes Tim. Hypothetically yeah. speaking. Yeah, because we're right, because we're we're human. We, yeah. we, we do are. that. So we do. We do. So so that is the uh, scuttlebutt that is out there. That is a widely held belief on Wall Street. Okay. And um, so I've missed a piece here. So so uh, essentially many people will look at the hold um, designation mm-hmm. on uh, you know when and they'll say, you know what, that should really be a buy. And that buy should really be a hold. So many people on Wall Street would look at those listings and look at them a little bit askance and say, you know, what, what is the real price target, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So now, price targets, now you're bringing me on to the stuff I want to get my teeth into. Okay. Okay, so all this so far seems eminently sensible. And I can understand <laughs> it. And then Apple have their earnings call and they say how well they did. And then the financial press say that Apple missed expectations. Right. So to me, that's like saying to the weather that you didn't obey the weather forecaster. <laughs> I understand. Okay. So, so, so who, who's, is this forecast from the Gene Monsters or is this from someone else? It, it actually is from the Gene Monsters. However, if you think about who these people are advising, if, let's say, some, one of the smaller electricians union in some small town in the southern U.S., I'm being arbitrary, wherever mm-hmm. – uh, if some small union has bought stock based on and allotted for these people's retirement, has bought stock, any, whether it's Apple or anybody else, mm-hmm. they've bought stock based on that estimate, based yes. on that price target. So when, the, when it doesn't meet Expect- that price yeah. target, yeah, when it doesn't meet expectations, it's because they have already said, see, they are relying on the analysts, be it the buy-side analysts or the sell-side analysts. So there's a vacuum of data. The analysts have said what they think reality is. Right. People have invested on that assumed reality. Then real reality arrives at the end of the right. quarter. Right. And then everyone goes, oh, sugar, reassess, reassess. Right. And it, and it goes one way or the other. I mean, for many, many years, Apple beat expectations and then beat expectations and then beat expectations. And then the stock went up and up and up because people bought more based on their beating those expectations. Then we had the bizarre situation where people were saying that Apple failed to meet expectations because they didn't exceed their own guidance by enough. 
Right. And that's to some degree, there's Apple is also a player in this. I'm not going to hmm. say it's one group's fault or the other. Well, yeah, because they, they say at the end of the earnings call, here's our guess for next quarter, isn't it? Right, essentially. Here's our guidance. They use the word guidance. But but um, it is their their guess about what they are going to sell. And no, all of these people, whether it's Apple providing guidance or the analysts trying to assess what is actually going to happen, all of them are trying to predict the future. Yes. And what just happened this past week is something that nobody predicted because China reduced the value of their currency – and that has caused – I'm not going to – I don't want to go into all the whys and wherefores, but it has caused an immense reaction and everybody's going, oh, you know, they've, they've done in your words. They've set their hair on fire. Right, right? which given that was – I'm not – correct me if I go wrong here and I'm in great danger of going wrong here. But China <laughs> had set their currency to always follow the dollar to a certain amount. There was like a, a set ratio and then they changed the rules. Is, is that what that happened? Is, that is my understanding. It's, it, it is kind of funny because um, – I had to giggle at the U.S. Congress because many in Congress got very upset at what China did. And yet at the same time, many in Congress have said they should let their, their currency be ruled by market forces as opposed to interfering, interfering, intervening as a government entity, you know, because they should be more capitalist and not so communist, right? Well, they're communists, you know, <laughs> and here they have done, in effect, what what many of the capitalists would have them do and they no 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 it's not fair what you're doing because it's badly impacting the US economy or it's likely to so it's Cake like okay eat. guys yeah. exactly exactly so so um yeah okay but, so but, I, yeah. I i think so the expectation is baked in so when the expectation proves to be incorrect or fiction right. whatever obviously the market then reacts by buying selling as appropriate so and that makes sense to me, and it's logical, it's sane. Mm-hmm. I think the bit where I get cranky is when the reporting is not the analysts guessed wrong, but right. Apple did badly. It's like, no, right. Apple set an expectation. Apple, I have never seen Apple fail to reach their target they have set for themselves, ever. Right. So if you guys guess wrong, take the blame, you know, Right. Own it. Own the fact I, that you guessed wrong and don't say it's Apple's fault. That, that's where I get real cranky. I understand. That said, the financial press, because they are the player in this particular mm-hmm. case, the, um, the financial press has reported that in that manner for all companies for decades and decades. Presumably so the, because they're in bed with the analysts. Well... <sighs> They're, they're actually – the financial press is out to – think about them as, as, as offering in some – there, there are some good financial reporters. Mm-hmm. There are also those who are into clickbait. Okay? Well, I think you'll find that exists well beyond the financial press, unfortunately. I, exactly. Exactly. But think about what the financial press wants to do is they want to sell you their financial uh, newspapers. At, well, not so much mm-hmm. advice, but they're reporting. Yes. Right. So, so Fortune Magazine wants to sell Fortune Magazine and, and Forbes wants to sell Forbes and Financial Times wants to sell Financial Times and yeah. Wall Street Journal, you know, so, so – and CNBC wants you to watch CNBC and Bloomberg wants you to watch Bloomberg, okay? So, yeah. so, so they are – and they have just always reported that way. So-and-so missed expectations, whether it's Apple or anybody else. And, and um, I don't know what to tell you about that, but I don't, I don't blame that on – 
I really, I mean, unless somebody is really off the, over the top in terms of the numbers they come up with, um, I don't really normally blame the analysts for that. I, that's how the press reports it. Um, the other, the other part is that Apple has had this history for so many years of setting the bar really, really low for themselves, and then beating by a lot. Yes. And and then about. I'm going to say four or five years ago, somewhere in there, they said, we are no longer doing that. We're going to, in effect, they didn't say it quite this way, but essentially what they said is we're going to be much more accurate now in our assessments. I mean, it was, it was, it was quite blunt when they said it. I remember it. I remember reporting on it when it happened and they weren't, they didn't use that many euphemisms even. Right. Right. However, remember that what the, okay, so here's another really important piece. Um, there are companies – I'm going to step back for a moment and just go historically. There are companies like Enron, and Enron was a huge accounting scandal. For those that don't know, it's worth, it's worth looking up on Wikipedia. I, I have family connections to, to Enron. I, yeah, I remember that one well. All right. Okay. So essentially what they did is they committed accounting fraud and the company went bankrupt and their accountant, uh, accountant firm, which was Arthur Anderson, also went bankrupt as a result of their fraud and people went to jail. So, so when that happened for Enron, WorldCom was an analogous situation. Um, think 2008 and Lehman Brothers, et cetera. In all of those circumstances, uh, pardon, let me say it this way. In none of those circumstances did the analysts predict ahead that these companies were flawed in any yeah. way. So going back to what I said earlier about the accusation that uh, company that the analysts are, quote, uh, too close to the companies. If they you, were you more see, suspicious, should they have figured out it, that this was fiction? Exactly. And actually, they I mean, that is their job, again, to predict the future. So they should have predicted. So the answer is yes, in some sense, in terms of what their job is, they should have predicted that Enron was a house of cards, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They should have noticed. And, and there was one analyst uh, whose name is Meredith Whitley who, predict, who predicted that City, if I remember correctly, which bank, was, was going to be in trouble based on what was going on prior to the financial crisis. But she became famous because she was the only one who did. You know, so so these people are looking at Apple and they don't know Apple as a company. They don't follow it the way you and I do. I mean, I live here in Silicon Valley. I know people who work for Apple. I, I follow the local news here. Um, and so so but Wall Street doesn't have that kind of information and they are very suspicious or they should be, you know, so they yes. and 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 the market as a whole, um, the the uh, adage, the. Uh, saying is that the market acts on fear and greed. They they are they're greedy. They don't want to miss something that's going to go up, and they're scared to death when a tiny bit of bad news happens. And it the market as a whole almost always overreacts. Right. So it's an amplified reaction, sort of a, a kind of a herd mentality. Someone runs left, and everyone goes, "Ooh, let's go left." Right. Exactly. They they set their hair on fire as they're doing now on a regular basis. Right. I guess then for the big investors, the theory is it self-corrects itself after a certain amount of time, it swings too far, and then it swings back, and so on average, it's all grand. 
That's correct. That's but that's both the big investors and all the remember I'm back to the electricians and everybody yes. else. Yes, those people as well. Swing right? Back. Over time. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think I have a better I, I, I think I'm getting to I, I almost know what everyone's name I hear all the time does. So I think I'm missing one category, which is Actually, the category of analysts I like generally, with one exception we'll get to in a minute. But the Ben Baharans of the world, right? they're different. Right. They also usually have more intelligent things to say, in my humble opinion. I agree. I so agree. what do they do? Um, they are, I would call them industry analysts. And they are, um, they are looking at uh, Ben Baharan and uh, his website, I believe, is Tech Pinions. I've forgotten. Uh, Creative Strategies is the name of his company. Um, he and several others, I want to mention Ben Thompson because he yes. has a podcast, although he's on hiatus at the moment. Uh, but Ben Thompson and his, and his co-host, whose first name is James, I've lost his last name, Allworth, James Allworth. Um, he has, they have a great podcast. Um, let's see who else. Benedict Evans is in there and he works for a venture capital company here in Silicon Valley. Um, There's a French chap whose name I can't think of who's doing really oh. great stuff. Horace to do? I think I, I hope he's French. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sound like a completely. But that's actually, who I meant. Actually, he's from Finland. Um, I don't know why he has. He's an interesting. He's very interesting, and we should talk more about him. Well, he, he's um, an Apple guy. He's an ex-Apple guy. No, well, he used to work oh, for no. Nokia, and was he's he and he's. I'm sorry. Was he Bios who, who Apple didn't buy? And oh then no, next? you're thinking. You're thinking of um, Glace, Glace or Grasse? I am thinking of Glace, who's also. No. Yes, yes. He's also doing yes. interesting analysis. Yes, yes, yes. No, Horace is, is another, uh, Horace is, a, is another um, industry analyst, let's call him and leave it at that. So he's another interesting one. Okay. Um, but what they do, they have a wide variety of things that they do. They, but, but what they are doing is looking at the industry, the tech industry as a whole and commenting on what they see going on. They are, um, James Allworth and uh, Ben Thompson are MBAs. Uh, Horace is a, a Harvard MBA, uh, so that's that's they they have more of a business background per se as opposed to financial. So is, is that, this a forest and a trees thing where the the buy side analysts are looking at individual companies very closely, and these guys are looking at whole collections of companies? Yes, that's. I, th- I think that's a good way to look at it. I think that's a good way to look at it. Uh, but but their focus, they don't. I don't. I don't mean to say they don't care. But their emphasis, the industry analyst, is not on how what Apple's earnings report look like or whether or not you should buy okay. and sell stock. They would look more at where is Apple going to be ten years from now. What is the industry? What are the factors at play? Uh, is Apple taking share from Android? Is etc. So, um, so is is the technology heading in a way that makes sense? Right. Which, right. in or, theory, if they go in a sensible direction, it, it should result in good earnings. Right. Exactly. If if yeah, is the com- yeah, if you think of the company going, but it, it, they're also um, they're looking for big picture trends more in the industry as a whole. Rather than, but but they will talk specifically about uh, Samsung, about Microsoft, about Apple, etc. They'll talk about all about LinkedIn, about um, Twitter. But they'll cast the conversation in the big picture. Right, right, right. Which is why they are usually I, I I generally enjoy that kind of analysis because uh, it's often insightful. 
Asian. I agree. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. I love to listen to these guys. They are so good. Um, so, so if I, are we okay on time? I think I, we are. I think, well, I think we, we're good for another wee bit, but we, we should probably not go too long or our poor listeners will, will. Okay. Start All turning right. off. As, 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 as much as I'm thoroughly enjoying this, there's, okay. there is one name I want to steer us, I, I want to get in there because I think he's probably officially on paper the same as Horace did you and them, but like, is there something else going on with the Rob Enderleys of the world? Are they, are they another category? <laughs> no, they are also industry analysts. I, I, I would say that any, um, if you take any group of lawyers, any group of financial analysts, any group of industry analysts, there will be some who are very smart and very good at what they do, and there will be those who are less talented, shall we say. See, that's a very okay. generous way to describe <laughs> Rob Enderley because my theory is not so generous. <laughs> I understand. I, I understand. I mean, and I, I think I said to you something considerably less generous than an email. Well, I, I'll um, say it then because I, I don't mind saying it because I don't think I'm going to – I don't think he cares what I think. But I think I'm, Rob Enderley yeah. is extremely successful at selling his product, yeah, which I is agree. Rob Enderley. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting that anybody puts him on, on the – He's they, always the on TV. Puts him on. Yeah. Well, TV – Guarantee he's going to say something outrageous. Ratings yeah. go up. He's like – 3D clickbait. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, in my opinion, a lot of the financial television is exactly that. I mean, if you look at the people they present and mm. the way they dress and what's, what's going on there, that's, a lot of it is clickbait. Um, I, don't, I no longer – we, we um, cut the cable. We no longer have cable TV. And what I do instead is listen to Bloomberg Radio. For, wow. for my financial news, because I because the tele, I mean, I, pardon me, but I have so no Bloomberg particular do interest. Telly, but know? their radio is actually better quality. They're, in my opinion, yes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and they also have they do it in podcast form too, which and you can pick and choose what interests you and what doesn't. So you can go back and listen to and fast forward or replay. Um, Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So and I'm much. I usually do that occasionally. I listen to it live. Um, so there's that. I want to. Uh, I do want to mention something specifically about Horace Didu. Okay. Um, he works now works for a uh, a think tank that is, I guess, loose. Well, it's run by a Harvard business professor. Uh, that Harvard business professor has written a couple books on what's called disruption. Meaning, if you think about um, when the automobile was invented, that disrupted. The, the, the buggy whip industry. When, it would do, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. When, when, when um, uh, railroads came about as a form of transportation, it disrupted stagecoaches to some degree. Uh, when Apple re- released the iPhone, it disrupted BlackBerry, right? So, that, <laughs> yes, so, you, so you get, yes, so you, you get the principle of something that really makes an impact yes. uh, over time. Uh, so he has studied the history of disruption. And Horace believes that Apple, in effect, has the formula for continuous disruption. If past t- is prologue. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, so that, that is fascinating. Some people find him a little hard to listen to because he's very big picture. And, but if you wanted to go back and listen to some of his earlier podcasts, his earlier episodes, mm. um, that, that podcast is called The Critical Path, by the way. Um, so, so, uh, if, if, but some, but he, 
prepare for a big, big, big picture thinker. So some people will go, why is he going off on this tangent? I have friends who can't listen to him because he's too ethereal for them. That's probably um, not bad to have in your mix of people, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear uh, him. And I also listen to, um, again, Ben Beharin and his group have a, a, a podcast called Tech Pinions. Um, I mentioned, I've already mentioned Ben Thompson and um, James Allworth. So these people are really interesting to listen to, in my opinion. So I'm with you on that. Let me see if there's anything else that is on my list. Um, I, I, I want to just, in a summary sort of way, mm-hmm. in terms of who influences the market itself, yeah. uh, well, who influences, let's say, the price of a stock, the market itself is the big influencer because they are the ones who buy and sell the stock, not not. Gene Munster and and his crew, Um, uh, the world economy and actual fundamentals. And that's part of what's going on now because people are frightened uh, as of today that the uh, emerging economies are going to – or the entire world economy is going to go in a cycle of uh, de-escalation. Uh, so, so disinflation. So a phrase I hear is a flight to safety. So does that mean that you get out of risky stocks and you, you, you – Play safe bets is is, is that what exactly mean? exactly and that can be that can be in some cases <clears throat> pardon me government bonds or or it could mean utility stocks or anything just not that's, Greek government bonds <laughs> yeah right 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 <laughs> yes um, although there would Apple count as, as that kind of a of a safe place like would a big blue chip <laughs> company be considered one of those safe havens or not quite prob I'm going to say yes but as of today. Apple was down further than the percentage of the market. So Apple was down about 5%. Hmm. And um, the market itself was down, let's see, the market itself was down 2.77%. Apple was down more than 5%. So is that? 5.7%. So that, that is because, this is, my, my, this is only an educated guess, because these are all educated guesses. Well, I, actually, before um, you give your educated guess, I think that's probably something that as – I don't know if I say it enough on the podcast, but we can't know what the mar- the why of the market because it's lots right. of individual actors and we can only sort of guess. But sometimes, I guess sometimes it's obvious what it probably is. Right. And that's I, it, it's because China is such an important market for Apple. Apple is selling yes. a lot of their iPhones and people are going, oh, there's problems in China. Therefore, yeah, so, yeah, so Tim Cook stood on stage or well, I wonder what he's sitting. Tim Cook said into a phone. Like, Right. That Apple is a big player in China, then the Chinese economy takes a hit. Right. Therefore, you take one, you add one, you get two. Right. Exactly. That's the reasoning in this particular case. And there's, there is often reasoning like that. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So. The market is like one of my pet things I love in, in my physics background is chaos theory. And an right. awful lot of the science that has been done on chaos theory is on the stock market. Because it is a very chaotic system. Right. Right. It's a, co- a complex system would be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I'm just glad it's not, well, apart from my pension. I was going to say it's not my money, but it is my money because, of course, I have a pension like everyone else. So it is my money. <laughs> yes. 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 A lot of people don't look into what exactly they own. Um, and that always troubles me a little bit, but that's a topic for another time, well, probably. I, I, think, I don't think there are many people left with this luxury in the Western world, but I have a defined, contrib- a defined benefit pension. 
Right. So it doesn't actually make a difference to my retirement income how badly they invest as long as they don't manage to go bust. Right, 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 right. And that's what most folks in the U.S. pulled away from, most of the companies in the U.S. And maybe maybe more than that. It's Yeah, it's basically because I'm a government employee, I still have the joys of def- of defined benefit, not defined contribution. Right. And if right. I had defined contribution, it would matter a lot to me how the stock market did, right? Right, it should. It should. But, but here's the other thing that a lot of people don't get and that they this is why they set their hair on fire they don't think about how long it's going to be until you need the money if you are in your 20s and you're saving for retirement you've got 40 years there's going to be a lot that happens in that time right yeah the average and 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 even i'm not no longer in my 20s but i figure at least 10 years before i'm going to need the money so so to worry about these ups and downs that are, ten, you know, even 2008, which was really huge. But if you were 64 I mean, in 2008, is that not a problem? That could be a problem. But if you are 60 or 55 or 58, then you need and you're going to you're planning for retirement at 65. You need to be moving into safer stocks or bonds early. Ah, ah right. So when you know you're coming to the end, it's time to stop. The risky stuff that's more likely to give you high gain and settle down. Exactly. And almost every financial planner in the world will tell you that. Yeah, you need to you need to pull back and be in, or at least have a, a, a smaller and smaller percentage of your, uh, inve- you know, what you're yeah. investing in something risky. OK, so the so. stock market affects an awful lot more of us than we think. It does. It really does. Well, yeah. That's kind of a depressing way to end this podcast. Well, yeah, it's it, the, what I will say. Instead of being depressed, go back and 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 find a chart of and pick your uh, it could be you know pick a European stock index or Dow Jones or S and P five hundred. Pick any any and look at a chart over the la, over say from nineteen twenty on. Actually, here's and, here's something we can end on. Could you explain what the Dow is exactly? Because we always hear about it. <laughs> the Dow Jones is is a actually. The Dow Jones gets a lot more attention than it should because the Dow Jones is simply an index of 30 stocks, only what? 30. It's only 30 stocks. That's a really poor average. Yes, it is. And if you want to watch something that is more significant, watch the S&P 500 Which is or the NASDAQ. Stocks? Yes. Okay. But 500 is a lot more than 30. Yeah. And the NASDAQ, <laughs> would that be even more stocks? Um, I'm not sure how many stocks are in the NASDAQ, to tell you the truth, but it's definitely more than 30. And, and it's it a does good average, ten- is it? Um, it's, well, it has a lot of your tech stocks. So that's why it gets, that's why it gets um, covered. I was just going to look and see if I could determine that. Let me see. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to find it quickly. But there is, a, there is a NASDAQ one. It's more than 100 stocks. I know that because there's okay. a NASDAQ 100. Um, but the Nasdaq is made up mostly of your of your tech and biotech, and that kind of stock. Okay, so uh, so they are just averages of stock prices. Exactly, they take they take all those stocks and average, yeah, what's in there. Um, but if you and if you look at that chart over a long period of time, there have certainly been downs. I mean, uh, eight, 1987, uh, 2008, 2000, the Nasdaq went from about five thousand to about. Um, I think 1800 it went down hugely that was the bust the dot-com bust 
Um, all of those have been recovered from. And now we have another drop, a significant drop as of today. Mm-hmm. But give it a few years or give it a few months. It's hard to tell. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's, so. a, that's, that's, a, that's more positive. Actually, here's a positive one to end on. So people say that Apple are the most valuable company in the world. Right. How do you measure that? They're measuring it by market capitalization, which means that which means if you take all the shares of Apple that are outstanding, and each one is worth as of today, hundred as of the close of market today, one hundred and five dollars and seventy six cents. Multiply by. Multiply by the number of shares outstanding, and I don't know what that number is without looking it up. Sure, but but the market cap listed on my uh, chart right in front of me is six hundred and forty two billion dollars. So every so stock of Apple, add them together, it would cost you that much money to buy a hundred percent of Apple. That's correct. If you wanted to, t- to, as they say, take the company private. So if you want uh, to do a hostile takeover of Apple, you need that much money and a little bit more. Right. Okay, right. so they're not in danger of a hostile takeover. No, no. And if you want uh, Microsoft, by comparison, right now is three hundred and sixty-two and a half billion. That's still quite uh, expensive. <laughs> it's still quite expensive. Google is at four four fifty, roughly four fifty-five. Also expensive. So, so these tech yeah. companies are big players. Yes, yes. Excellent. In terms of the amount of money that's invested in them, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you ever so much for giving so generously of your time here. I, I've learned an awful lot, so I'm hoping that means I'll be better prepared in two and a half months when Apple have their next earnings call. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. I hope the listeners got as much out of it as I did because I really got a lot out of this. Um, and thank you ever so much for, for agreeing to do it. Oh, yeah. It's been great fun. I enjoy it. I really do. Well, good. And if I get anything else wrong, you have my email address. <laughs> okay. I, I genuinely do appreciate the emails when people, when I, you know, when I get something wrong, I don't want people to whine about it behind my back. Tell me. And I'll, right. I'll make it right. Right. I understand. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I, I do want to say that I learn tremendously from you, both from Let's Talk Apple, but also for your contributions on NoSilicast. Oh, I you. really learn a lot. So that's, yeah. So as Alison would say, this is paying it forward because I've now learned a lot from you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I think Thank that's you. what Alison would say. Anyway, let's, let's wrap up the show. So before I do an introduction, just to say to people, um, so this... Let's Talk Apple is normally supported by Patreon, and the theory of Patreon is that for every show that comes out, you guys pledge a certain amount of money, right? Well, this show is different. This is a free show on Patreon. So it's still going to be two a month for anyone who's a Patreon donor. I should have said that at the start of the show. Uh, If you're not a Patreon supporter yet, though, it would really help the show a lot if a few more people were to sign up to that. Uh, And there's also a big blue button that says donate on PayPal. That also helps a lot. So thank you to everyone who does support the show, and... To anyone else, please consider supporting the show or simply going to iTunes, saying something nice and clicking the five-star button. That is also very valuable and very appreciated. Or just send me an email with suggestions of what I could do better. Also appreciate it. So there's lots of ways I appreciate help. Linda, thank you again. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, on Twitter, I am um, all one word, Linda from San Jose. The Linda is L Y N D A. Uh, F-R-M and then S capital S-A-N and capital J. Um, so it's Linda from San Jose or just Linda Goucher. If you look that up, I think you can find me. And that's Goucher spelled G-O-U-S-H-A. Correct. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Uh, show notes will be at let's-talk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until 
a few weeks from now when we'll have a regular show again. Happy computing. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. And then I'm moving my whole base of operations to Universal Studios. <laughs> Old guys wandering around. I just can't imagine what could possibly, possibly go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're watching you too. Yeah. We're the clueless hosts of the MyMac podcast. <laughs> Thank you so very, very much for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. (sighs) Tell me about it. (laughs) People like us. Apparently, people like to respond on Facebook to hairy bald guys who said stupid things. That's not (laughs) God. Why don't you bring us in?